The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. I'm broadcasting from my hometown of Los Angeles. Had a great week. Uh, last Saturday night, I hosted On Point at 50 and Beyond, a great performance at the fabulous Thousand Oaks Performing Arts Centre here in Los Angeles. And it was an absolutely magical night, Abs- a full house. Um, the concert featured superb ballerina Mari France Levesque and the troupe from her Los Angeles Dance Company, the fabulous Freddie Ravel from Earth, Wind and Fire and worked with Madonna and all of those people, and uh, seven-time Grammy Award-winning legend Al Jarreau, who's one hell of a good guy, and two wonderful vocalists, Claire McKenzie and Elizabeth Howard. It was sensational to work with such brilliant talent and uh, with a capacity audience who loved every minute of it. The, um, the crowd just went nuts, and it's a magnificent show, and if it comes to a theatre near you, I... Absolutely, I tell you, you will love it. So make sure you get along and see it. As you know, the Bob Pritchard Radio Program and and also in our consulting business, we champion entrepreneurs and startups, early stage. In fact, all small business people, no matter where you are in the world, and we are heard right around the world at the same time every week. We love hearing stories about successful entrepreneurs, particularly young people who overcome obstacles. Today I interview Kevin Lau, who's the first player ever to play first division college basketball with only one arm. The new movie about Kevin's life, which is called Long Shot, the Kevin Lau story, opened in theatres in New York, New Jersey and Los Angeles at the weekend. It did extremely well, and you can expect it to be rolled out across the country. I urge you to go along and see Longshot and appreciate just what you need to do to be successful. The same rules apply with Kevin as apply in any business. You need a goal, you need ambition, plan, guts, determination, and persistence. And he's got all of those things in spades. Um, And I've said quite often that before you use social media, it's really important to drill down on precisely who uses them because every new media platform has a different, appealing to a different market segment, different ages, different demographics, different um, incomes, um, and a couple of 
couple of things that I'm going to talk about in detail next week. 8% of US adults get their news from Twitter. And uh, those who get their news from Twitter are younger, more mobile, and more educated than those who get their news from Facebook, for example. But when you come to Facebook, the big growth in Facebook, 46% year on end, is in the 45 to 54-year-old age bracket. But interestingly, 73% with incomes above 75K are on Facebook. And 75% of them have some college education. I'm going to talk about that in some more detail next week. There's a new book just released, The Remarkable Power of Optimism, by Nido R. Kubane, who addresses the fact that history is full of people who suffer from handicaps, had talents that were inferior to those around them, who lived in the worst of circumstances or f- faced many defeats. You know, hell of a lot of these people are absolute winners in life's Hall of Fame. The reality is that whether you achieve success or failure in your life has little to do with your circumstances. It has much more to do with your attitude, your courage, your determination, and your choices. You know, non-achievers blame their circumstances. Winners rise above circumstances. Some people concentrate on the blank wall that boxes them in. Winners always look for ways to get under it, over it, around it, or plain just go through it. So you've got to surround yourself with positive influences. If you sit in front of the TV and watch people on TV who are big and fat, you will end up big and fat. If you're surrounded by negative thinkers or negative images, you're going to be negative. It's too easy to get bogged down in hopelessness. You should be reading motivational books and magazines, listening to motivational recordings and speakers, preferably mine. Go to positive seminars and programs. Make it a point to read or watch or listen to something positive and inspiring at least once every day. Associate with positive people. You know, surround yourself with friends who are positive, want to go out and get things done, people who feel good about themselves. You know, people who need to criticise or tear down others, they're not happy with themselves and they're certainly not good for you or your attitude. You know, life's an adventure to be savoured from beginning to end. It's a game of constantly changing odds, constantly developing challenges, constantly opening opportunities. To win it, you've got to play it. Sitting on the sidelines won't do. You've got to really go out there, bite off more than you can chew, and chew like hell. The more you push the envelope, the more good things happen to you. Sure, you get a few bumps and bruises along the way, but that's what it's about. That's part of the fun. Now, last week, I told you about Publicis' big advertising deal worth tens of millions of dollars with YouTube. And that was just a few months after MediaVest made a similar huge deal with Twitter. 
Now, YouTube has now decided not to offer television networks and movie studios the sweetheart deals that they'd been getting where they got 70% of all advertising revenue placed from ads with content from the networks. Instead, the networks will now get the same 55% split that YouTube, YouTube offers on an online-only content network such as Machinima, Awesomeness TV, people like that. So network TV is being brought back to the fold. So what YouTube's really saying here is that it no, no longer needs mainstream television stamp of approval. They're forcing the networks to compete on the same playing field as other professional content providers, which is cool. It's clear that YouTube believes that viewers no longer consider product on traditional networks to be a better quality than product made for online video. And now with Google and Apple and everybody starting their own studios in Los Angeles, there's no reason. And Netflix winning Emmys. I mean, it's a whole different ballgame. So YouTube obviously believe that advertisers are going to recognise this and are going to be unwilling to pay the higher prices that um, are on the networks. They're also gambling that even though these networks will get less money from YouTube, YouTube's rapidly growing viewership compared with the networks that are failing, the networks are going to have no choice but to continue to post their content on the platform. So YouTube, supported by giant audiences, starting to flex its muscles. Twitter's only a day or a few days away from its IPO, where it could be valued at somewhere between 14 and $20 billion. And I want to be on the record as saying that um, if you buy them and sit on them for a year or so, I think it'll prove to be a great investment. I think there's um, the opportunities open to Twitter are just extraordinary. Last week, I also spoke about the competition between the social networks and traditional media and how I believe that traditional media, unless there's some extraordinary changes, I don't know what those changes are, but traditional networks are akin to the dinosaur. It's also obvious that social media, particularly YouTube, as I mentioned, Twitter, and, of course, Facebook, have declared war on the TV networks. There's only so many dollars out there. And uh, Facebook's constantly telling us they have an audience three times bigger than the network and cable television combined, which is true. Between 8 and 11 at night, they've got nearly 150 million people on Facebook against 40-odd million on cable and network. And that the performance of advertising on Facebook you know, that can be measured in real time. It can be changed immediately. It develops dialogue in contrast to effectively non-measurable, expensive monologue television advertising. Now, Twitter's not being outdone here either. They're heavily pushing their product called Twitter TV Ad Targeting. And they've got a sort of sister product called TV 
Twitter ratings. Now, TV Twitter ad targeting, it allows advertisers to enhance their TV advertising by buying promoted tweets in conjunction with the program. And then TV Twitter ratings measures the resultant chatter about those programs. I think it's brilliant. This enables the broadcasters to see the impact the program has beyond just simple audience ratings because simple audience ratings mean jack, you know, and, and they always give you the rating of the program. And we know that in a program that rates a 10, the third ad in the break rates about a 2, if that. You know, people are taking their feeding their kids or taking their kids to bed or going for a leak or they're doing something, but they ain't watching the ads. So then again, not to be left out, Facebook now reports to the big four TV networks what sort of chatter their shows generate among Facebook users. So now it's really a combined online and television combination to really get your message across on television. And uh, bear in mind that Twitter and Facebook aren't out there doing this to help TV advertisers get better TV advertising. They want to convince TV advertisers that Facebook and Twitter have got more reach, they're more targeted, they enable one-on-one dialogue, they provide instant measurability, they're immediately accountable, and therefore these advertisers should move their dollars from television across to them. And you know what? That's going to happen, and it's going to start happening really quickly. Now, this year, Facebook will do more than $6 billion in revenue. Twitter will do $1 billion or probably a bit more. And the only place for them to get avenue revenue, ad revenue in big chunks, in you know, multi-million dollar chunks, is to take it off television. So... That's why the assault on television. Um, Publicists, with their recent deal, they obviously believe that uh, YouTube's worthy of a TV-sized budget. And if the ROI on these programs is better than TV, which I'm absolutely positive it will be, then TV, as we know it, is doomed. But it's also interesting to note that the NFL, they've banned TV networks from tweeting during live games because they don't want to prevent the dilution of their property. They've also advised the network that they can't promote tweets during games because they claim that is an in-game sponsorship that's not allowed. Now, let's see how long that one will last. Let me share with you a great story which shows what a bit of guts can do. Ellie Luna saw the CEO of Uber at an awards ceremony and went up and told him that she absolutely hated Uber's app. She said he should bring her in to fix it. Of course, she was half full of ink at the time. She'd had three or four scotches. So instead of dismissing her suggestion, Travis Kalanick told her to be in the Uber office on Monday at 9am. So while she thought this was just a bit of drink talking and the offer was bogus, She turned up and was introduced to two other designers that 
Travis had flown in from New York and they said about redesigning the app. The other day, the app won the Fast Company 2013 Innovation by Design Award, beating out Mars Rover and Tesla. It pays to say what you think. You know, most people want to build a successful business, but most people won't. Most people want to be the best version of themselves that they can possibly be. Most people aren't. Most people have dreams they want to fulfill. Most people won't. Everyone wants to quit something, build something, be something, do something. And of course, most people won't do anything. How many things have we all shrunk away from, hidden from, or excused away? We're not alone. Nearly everyone does the same. But every once in a while, somebody puts themselves out there, like L. She made the leap. She faced rejection or failure, or maybe even worse. But she came out the other side, better, and changed. Now, most people won't do any of that. That means that those of us who do really change everything. I'd like to thank my son Hunter, who's in his final year at George Washington University, for bringing that great story to my attention. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. The whole reason that we're here is to assist entrepreneurs to become successful. So if you have a question about any aspect of business, please don't hesitate to email it to me at bob at bobpritchard.com and we'll answer it on air or email you directly. We are the number one show in the world for entrepreneurs. In a moment, I'll be back with a great guy I met last Saturday at the grand old age of 23, has had a movie of his life released last week in Los Angeles, New York and New Jersey. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business. And I will be back after this short break. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. 
That's Bob at BobPritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Well, this is a segment of the show where we interview people who've achieved great success, people that are making a difference in the world. And we try to find out what it is that makes them tick. Now, this program's all about entrepreneurs and helping you to become a success. And as we've said on this program many times before, it's one thing to have great product or talent, but some of the key ingredients of success, and the most important ones, are guts, ambition, and determination. The fact that my guest today has talent has never been an issue. But it's his guts, his ambition and his determination that's made him the focus of a feature film that has just premiered in California, New York and New Jersey. In fact, I'm speaking to him today, the morning after a premiere in California, where he tells me he got home at 4.30. <laughs> so being on this morning's a pretty good effort. Um, my guest is Kevin Lau, and the movie is called Long Shot, the Kevin Lau story. And it's been described as funny, touching, and extremely inspirational. Now, I had the opportunity to meet Kevin, and uh, he's very quiet, unassuming guy. And that alone says a lot about who he is. I've got to say, though, he is fucking tall. <laughs> he is, he's like seven foot tall, this guy. Um, but let me tell you a little bit about this kid, who at the ripe old age of 23 already has a movie about his life playing in theatres. Before Kevin was born, his umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck in the womb. Now, Kevin fought back using his arm as a shield, and due to lack of circulation from the cord, he was born with an arm that ended at the elbow. Now, Kevin's father was an athlete and a coach, and had difficulty accepting Kevin's disability. Four years after his father... Later, his father died of cancer, and Kevin was determined to carry on his family name by proving he can be a success, not only in life, but in basketball. In seventh grade, he was already six foot nine, <laughs> Jeez. but unable to make any of the local teams because of his disability. Kevin's mother, who I think is the most extraordinary, determined woman, I just love the story, approached a rival high school coach seeking help. It was only after Coach McKnight agreed to allow Kevin to try out did she mention that he only had one arm. After one day on the court, Coach Knight instantly knew that there was something special about this kid. They began a five-year association between a black crosstown rival coach and a white preppy, preppy one-armed basketball player. When he reached high school, Kevin was six foot eleven, and he began to talk of playing Division One college basketball. He went on to be the first one-armed player in the history of college basketball in America. What a fantastic story! Now that should be a story that should motivate everyone to work hard to determine what their goals are, and then go for them and be the absolute best that you can be. Hi, Kevin. How are you? Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Hey, thank you for having me. 
It's a pleasure. Mate, I, you went to the premiere of Longshot last night. What's it like to sit there as a pretty unassuming guy who's dedicated his life to proving to his late father that you know you could be the success in sports that he wanted you to be and knowing just how immensely proud he would be if he was sitting there next to you sharing your popcorn? That's a really good question, too. Uh, you know, me and my dad had a, a little bit of a rough relationship. He passed away when I was 10 again, and, uh, you know, uh, I had a hard time, you know, because over the last three years uh, of his life, he was, you know, kind of falling apart to the cancer. Yeah. He eventually passed away in the living room of the household, you know, with hospice there and everything, and, uh, you know, it was a lot to take in for a 10-year-old sure. that was already, you know, struggling with a disability and stuff. So, uh, you know, to see last night, to see the crowd, to see the reaction of the crowd, um, you know, there were celebrities, there were directors, there were producers, but not only that, there were four little kids that came, um, all with different types of disabilities. A, a young gal who had just lost her leg recently, um, who got a hold of me through social media, and she happened to make it. Uh, and I never met her face to face. I mean, it, it was a splendid experience, uh, you know, just to be able to touch and and uh, you know see everybody's reaction to the film. Uh, but not only that, I mean, you know, it's once again, it's it's not even truthfully about basketball, but more in a father son relationship. Yeah, it's it. I just think that it's um, it's so important for kids, particularly kids that. Um, you know, have some form of disability, to have a great role model. I mean, it makes so much difference if you can see someone else who's who's been in this. It's, it's all right for other people to say, you can do it, you can do it. But to see somebody that's been in the same boat, who knows what it's like, who knows what, what the embarrassment and all the things you probably go through um, are like. And, and that must be an incredible inspiration to them. And, and exactly, too. When I was a kid, uh, you know, I didn't know a person in the world with any, any, any sort of disability. Uh, I felt a little bit isolated for that reason, not to mention I was uh, freakishly tall and yeah. I have red hair. That didn't help me at all. But uh, um, yeah, you, haven't got, you haven't got anything going for you. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right? I was a trouble child. But, uh, yeah, my, uh, you know, like you said, I had a, a wonderful mother and mentors, uh, coaches alike, teachers who really looked after me and, uh, you know, they, without them steering me in the right direction and, and instilling a certain mentality, uh, you know, I could have never came out to the other side and been successful. But with that being said, I'm so blessed in the long run to see all the people's lives I'm affecting. Uh, you know, kids, uh, you know, that you know, struggle with disabilities, but even their parents. Uh, you know, just a quick story. Uh, you know, Facebook's huge network, uh, you know, for this kind of stuff. Sure. But there's a gal, one of the saddest stories I could tell you, there was a gal a couple of years ago who sent me a, like a essay, a long email through Facebook, a message. Mm-hmm. Uh, it actually was so long it broke down to like four different messages. And she was apologizing to me. And I'd never met this lady before. And, you know, I didn't know where she's from or anything. Right. And she was apologizing to me because she saw me in like the New York Times. And a week prior, she had a sonogram um, and found out that her... Uh, baby was going to be born with a disability, so she had an abortion. Right. And, uh, you know, that following week, you know, she saw me in the media. You know, she had the abortion because she thought the kid would never be happy in life. Right. And, you know, saw me and what I was doing, and, you know, this bring me to tears because she said, you know, if I had seen you a week earlier, my kid would be alive. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> 
Jeez. Okay, just yeah, I know, and it's a hard one to take in. It is, know, yeah. Like that, Such a complicated story, too, isn't and, it? And that's that's the stuff I'm blessed with. You know, I get to really affect people. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. And you know, I just living my life, I've known nothing different than having one arm. Uh, you know, and just playing basketball and overcoming everything I've had to overcome. Yeah. And uh, being successful at it, and uh, you know, I get to inspire millions of people. I mean, it's such a blessing. Just let's just talk about your mum for a minute. I mean, she must be an absolutely extraordinary woman. She was not going to give up, and she she she's quite incredible. Unbelievable. Yeah, she's she's the most wonderful woman on this planet, in my opinion. Uh, you know, she's always been there for me. She's loved me to death, and uh, you know, she didn't coddle me too, which was fortunate for me. I used to have Velcro shoes when I was a kid, and she actually, you know threw him out because she wanted me to learn how to tie my shoes like everybody else. How do you, how do you, okay, I give up. How do you, how do you tie your shoes with one arm? I, you know, I'd have to show you. Oh, that's pretty tricky, right? In the movie, I mean, they got it all, but, you know, I cut steak, I push up. Uh, yeah. The thing I've never figured out how to do, find a way to do is with monkey bars. I read a quote where they said they laughed at him. They said it was impossible. Then they saw him play. Now, I appreciate this is probably a great line dreamed up by a studio to communicate the emotion of the story. But is there truth to that statement? I mean, did you feel sort of ostracized and and um, um, people laugh at you? Or did you think that people pretty much rallied behind you? Um, school, I guess, was the toughest part, right? Well, I mean, I mean, everybody to an extent, you know, especially when I first got in the sport. Uh, not quote could even be coming from my director. You know, when we first met, he was coaching a, a team uh, out in Vegas, and there's 150 teams in this tournament, and, you know, somehow his team got matched up against my team, and he was coaching for a friend. I mean, he was, that wasn't even his team. He's an ex-NBA agent and a sure. college D1 coach and all that. and So he not a coach pretty well, but he couldn't. He saw me, and he was like, man, that was nice of that coach to take that kid on the team. But then he saw me start and do jump ball, and he, like, raised some eyebrows. Like, this kid's, like, actually playing. He's actually getting minutes. He's not a bench warmer. And uh, I had, a, in particular, a good game that game. I probably dropped 30 points on him and 15 rebounds and 10 blocks. And he just could not figure out how to guard me. And that's that's how this documentary actually got started in the first place. Uh, but, you know, I, I went through so many different phases and so many different coaches uh, and players, uh, you know, that underestimated me from the get-go, and I'd use it to my advantage. Uh, you know, I don't know, prospectively, if you think about playing, I don't mean to be sexist, but like a girl, you know, it's a lose-lose situation, because if yeah. you beat them, it's like, so what? But if you lose, it's like, oh, well, you're off to a girl. Well, that same mentality was instilled in everybody uh, playing against me. It's like I have the day off, I'm playing the cripple kid, but then I go out and I, uh, you know, catch them off guard. And you blitz them. Uh, I love it. Blitz them. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, you know, it goes it goes both ways, but it was difficult to overcome, especially getting recruited to school. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, I also love the relationship between you and Coach Knight. Now, I assume he's still around. Yeah, he uh, he actually uh, moved up to Oregon. He's uh, coaching there now, but me and him are still close buddies. Uh, you know, if he didn't take a chance on me. I'd have never made it in basketball. Yeah, he um, he must be a hell of a guy. But that, that that's the thing too, and you know, for all the listeners out there, I mean, he this guy took a chance on me, and it, it was something he didn't have to do, and he did. And um, be, by doing that, I progressed and became a better player. 
and the effect he had in my life ultimately affected I mean, millions of people's lives, other than in Buddhist magazines in China and in news stations in Brazil and Spain and all over the world, Sports Illustrated, uh, Associated Press, all this stuff. And I'm not saying that boastfully. Once again, I'm blessed. I'd sure. never be there without coaches and my mother and uh, all the people that have really affected me and, and helped me out. But, well, you know, he, he took a chance on one kid, and by doing that, he's affected so many others. Okay, let's let's just have a look at that for a minute. With with all the tens of thousands of kids that want to play college hoops, when you first met him, was there an instant connection, or was it just after he saw you play, or what created that incredible chemistry between you two? Well, my mom called him up after I got cut uh, from the seventh grade basketball team. Uh, my mom called him up. And it was like, hey, I got, you know, my son really wants to play ball. He got cut. This is how tall he is. And he's like, man, we'll take him. And I got there. And she never told him I had one arm. So he yeah. was kind of like raising some eyebrows, too. So, I can imagine. Yeah. Well, he didn't make the 7-15, but his, his team was actually an AAU travel team. So um, everybody on that team was either a, a junior and a senior in high school. There might have been one sophomore. And, again, right. I was like in seventh grade. Um, you know, I was bigger than everybody, but I wasn't any good. But uh, so the first, like, play, he saw we were in practice, and I, like, stole the ball. I picked the ball from one of the guys on the team, and I ran it down the court, and uh, I dunked it. I didn't dunk it very well, but I dunked it. And he's like, how did this guy not make a seventh grade team? So he took me on, and I'm not going to, you know, say I was really good at basketball at first. I wasn't. I wasn't good at all. I had to, he really had to, you know, teach me the right footwork and coordination and this and that. Um, and I got dunked on, but playing with these better players, uh, you know, made me a better player. And I, you know, surpassed all the kids in my grade I couldn't even make the team with uh, pretty quickly. Uh, yeah. So, you know, he just, he really helped me out. You know, just taking the time and, you know, being a good person really affected me. I think there's, um, there's a great lesson in that for everybody who's in business. If you associate with, mix with, and in your case, play with, people that are good and better than you, then you will improve and improve and improve. Too many people want to play and mix with people who are inferior to them so that they can feel some sort of superiority, I guess. And that is not the way to achieve. And that's that's the honest truth right there. You know, directing that to business uh, as well... Uh I know all too well, you know, I'm 23 now and I have tremendous mentors out in New York City and, uh, you know, I've learned so much from these people. Yeah. Uh, running around with, you know, consultants and lawyers and CEOs of different companies and VPs here and there and, again, not boastfully, but because these guys have kind of taken me under their wing, uh, there's not a kid my age, uh, you know, that can even run in the same crowd or have the same business uh, you know, conception as, as I do. You know, despite going to this school or that school. Sure. Uh, you know, if you if you run with people that you know know what they're doing, um, you know, in any means. I mean, that goes basically, and you know, in everything, uh, you'll become better and, and quicker at it. I think there's one other thing that um, people can learn from you. I think that the fact that you are humble and a genuinely nice person with talent. It makes a hell of a difference because the world is full and, you know, you meet them all the time and I meet them all the time of real smart asses who think they're a thousand times better than they actually are. And, you know, people don't warm to them. 
but people warm to somebody who's genuine, straight up and down, and that you can rely on it and you can trust and you know that it's going to give their their whole every time they play. And uh, I think that's what makes you such an exceptional person, or one of the things. Okay, okay. You talk about coming from. Uh, you talk about the, your um, experience now in New York and playing in the big leagues. Um, you hail from Pleasanton, which is a, if you don't mind me saying so, a kind of a sleepy little town of what fifty, sixty, seventy thousand people or something. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a beautiful little like suburban town in uh, East Bay of uh, San Francisco. It's quiet. Yeah, quiet. <laughs> uh, it's a long way from there to meeting the President of the United States and movie premieres in New York and LA and, you know, spending weeks on a press junket. Um, that's a long way. I mean, it's light years. I mean, it, 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 there's no relationship between the two of them at all. No. Well, uh, you know, what, what happened, long story short, and I won't uh, ruin too much of the documentary, uh, Long Shot, if you know, anybody out there uh, gets a chance to see it. Uh, but uh, my senior year of high school, I was I was in this, featured in the Super Bowl edition of Sports Illustrated, and I was sitting in my English class, and I get a call from, you know, whatever area code. There was no number following it, so I picked up in the class. Yeah. And uh, they're like, this is so-and-so from the White House. This is Kevin Lau. <laughs> like, I, I hung up on him, actually. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, you know, I got another call, and it was them, and they asked me, you know, would I, would I uh, like to meet George W. Bush? And uh, okay. I was like, let me check my schedule. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so we actually flew out on Air Force One about a month later, and I met him off the doormat, and, uh, you know, I met him for about 20 minutes, 25 minutes, really down to earth. It was incredible, you know. I uh, went back to that same night to a basketball game, a high school game, yeah. and I broke my leg. Uh, while I was playing that game and lost my scholarship offers on the West Coast. Oh, All on the same day. Uh, it was one of those very interesting days. That's but, a bittersweet uh, day. <laughs> yeah, that's my lifestyle. I was born on Friday the 13th. Not that not a lot of people know that about me, but uh, I joke about that a lot. <laughs> Were you really? Boy, I wish I hadn't known that. That that would have been a great start. That's terrific. (laughs) Born Friday the 13th. I love it. Go on, tell me that you broke your leg. Not a lot of people know that about me. My great-grandma, too, uh, she passed away. She's like the heart of the family. She passed away about a month before I was born and right before uh, she passed away. She pointed my mom and said there's going to be something really special about that child. And no one knew at the time that I was going to be born with one hand, so. Yeah, uh, you know, it's it's just pretty surreal. But uh, yeah, so I broke my leg same day, day I met Bush, lost all my scholarship offers, and uh, you know really wanted to play D one. So I, I took a year out at Fort Union Military Academy in Virginia, okay. prep school, and I played there for a year, redeeming scholarship offers, and that's how eventually I got uh, I got to New York City. So uh, so not only did I go to like the suburbia, like. California to the country of Virginia, and I mean, there's nothing 15 miles of every direction, all guys school, <laughs> tough, and then to New York City. I mean, I got all the, all the vices in there. But <laughs> now, don't tell me you bro- don't tell me you break your leg on Friday the 13th. I wouldn't. I, I, I just couldn't. I couldn't handle it. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, I feel bad for my mother. Everything happened. <laughs> <laughs> now, the bright lights don't seem to have affected you in any way. Well, uh, you know, it's it's 
it's awesome. You know, it's uh, a blessing in disguise. I say, uh, you know, once again, I just wanted to play basketball, and uh, you know, uh, for me, it's not very impressive because I don't know anything different than doing things with one arm. Perspectively, for everybody else, it's out of control because I mean, again, you you can't even configure how I tie my shoes. Yeah, um, and I, I promise you, I put you know all the money I have on that. I could probably tie my shoes faster than you. you know, <laughs> probably, yeah. but I'm but I'm slow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but, uh, you know, so uh, it's as far as all the media attention and everything. Uh, you know, it is it is a lot more pressure uh, as far as sure. Just focusing on what you set out to do but you know it's a double-edged sword as well there's such an outreach of well you want that outreach so you can do good right kids all over the country internationally with disabilities and i got to speak at the general assembly room at the u.n uh, for all ambassadors and all that stuff uh international disability day and uh, it was a incredible experience but you know and i'm you know i do motivational speaking now and uh you know traveling to uh I traveled to Uganda, about to travel to the Philippines and Taiwan and everything, and it's it's surreal. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's a great experience that, you know, lap up every minute of it because it really is fantastic. Okay, I'm sure there's a lot of sports fans listening out there, and I think that probably the first question they'd like that ask is, in the hustle and bustle of a game, how do you keep your balance? That's the first question. And... What skills did you have to develop to stop the ball from getting away from you? I mean, how do you how do you keep control of the ball? Uh, yeah, those are actually both really good questions. Uh, you know, as far as balance, I uh, I've never had too big of an issue with uh, you know something you might also not know about me. I was born left-handed, but without a left hand, um, which is really strange. Uh, my umbilical cord wrapped around my arm, kind of took off yeah. my arm, but they said it saved my neck and. Uh, I joke about how it was a good trade-off. But, uh, you know, I just my left foot. I reckon. And, you know, I, I'm very much left-sided. Uh, you know, the doctor said I would have definitely been left-handed. But that kind of helped with the coordination because not only am I naturally, you know, left-sided, you know, I have to do everything with my right side. Right. Uh, so, that, you know, I think that helps as far as balancing and everything goes. Uh, you know, as far as any kind of skills, you know, it takes to, you know, rebound, do this and that. Uh, First off, my hand is monstrously big. I mean, it's like it's just enormously crazy. I, I could palm a ball when I was, uh, you know, thirteen, right, really easily. And uh, you know, it all came down really to footwork with me. Uh, you know, and you had to perfect footwork and uh, you know the sky hook and uh, everything like that. Um, so it was just finding kind of my niches and then perfecting them. And that's that's what coaches kind of set out to help me do. Uh, and then last last bit, uh, my arm—I call it my nub, my right. arm without a hand—and it's it's basically all bone. So I, I jab people in the back with it, and it's like a knife. Uh, <laughs> eat people well and stuff. It's, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a dirty player too, but <laughs> that that's hard, that's hard to imagine. New York a couple of weeks ago, and I and I gave him a little nubby, and he's like, "Oh man." <laughs> <laughs> um, and of course, the fact that you've got size seventeen feet or whatever probably helps you balance as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a bit like standing on a surfboard. Um, <laughs> so, what is next for Kevin Lau? Where, where do you go from here? I mean, you've done everything already. You're bloody twenty three. Where do you go? What do you got? 
I know. I might as well kick the bucket now. I'm up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I'm 23. I graduated college in three years as an honor student. Um, you know, uh, I'm contemplating going back to uh, you know Ivy League school to get my master's. Uh, but there's so many opportunities opening up now. Obviously, we're promoting the film. We're up for an Academy Award this year. And, right. Uh, have a, a script written for a feature film too. Uh, potentially making the next Blindside Sulcer for a 128-hour movie, uh, which all tend to be really successful, but have a larger outreach than the documentary does. Sure. Uh, so we have a script written. We have all the team put together looking for you know, the right funding sources, but uh, I think that'll come around. Uh, besides that, I, uh, I am doing motivational speaking again, traveling all around the country. Uh, you know, it's unbelievable to be able to help others and touch them with my story and I love to travel, and, you know, it is actually surprisingly pretty lucrative, and, uh, you know, there's a book deal out there waiting for me, and so I'm uh, starting that up, uh, you know, at the turn of the year, and I have a tryout with the Harlem Globetrotters next year as well. Oh, great. Uh, so crossing my fingers that that'll, that'll work, and, uh, you know, I've been talking to the recruiting guy for quite some time now, so that would be pretty fun. So, like I said, I mean, there's so many doors open up for me and uh, you know obviously I want to help people as much as I can and play ball as long as I can as well uh, so uh, you know I just cross my fingers and hope it'll work out it's interesting because when you look at the most successful people in business today something like 70% of them didn't finish college you know yeah. I mean college teaches you to learn but um, you know my thruppence worth for what? I had that conversation it's... the other day. The most, the most, the most, uh, the best people in the world, the most successful people in the world at Harvard dropouts. That's right. That's absolutely true. And you know, if I were you, <laughs> this is my advice for what it's worth. I'd be grabbing the opportunities that present themselves to you as they present themselves to you. Otherwise, you know, things have a habit of slipping away easily. Exactly, Kevin. You, you've said that you want to demonstrate to people that nothing's impossible if you put your heart and soul into it. Now, you have absolutely, certainly done that. You know, I might add for the people that are listening that the theatre last night um, here in, in California, in Los Angeles, was packed. There were people standing, standing ovation. Everybody absolutely loved it. Um, it's only in the three cities at the moment, right? Uh, yes, sir. we just uh, played in my hometown out in San Francisco. We sold out every showing, and we're number six in the country right now for box office uh, for documentaries. Uh, in L.A., I think we'll change it and bump us up. But um, Fantastic. You know, it, it, it is, it is uh, an incredible film. Uh, Frank Martin did an amazing job. He followed me four and a half years, and then there's three years of post-production. I mean, we've been it's, it's about been seven years since we started this thing. So. Right. Uh, it's pretty surreal to see it all come together. Uh, but yeah, just be playing in Burbank uh, for the rest of this week, uh, six showings a day at an AMC theater, eight over there, and then it'll be in New Jersey, in Princeton, New Jersey, uh, coming up next week. And then starting November 15th, it'll be in the AMC theater, AMC theater in Times Square in New York City. Uh, and then obviously it's, it's doing so successful right now. We'll probably roll it out to other cities after that. Fantastic. Hopefully HBO, 3030, uh, ESPN Film, or Netflix it. And uh, hopefully the Academy Award thing will come through as well. But it's really exciting again. Great. I'm very blessed. Uh, these guys Mate, I, a long time on it. 
I think your talent, guts and determination and your humility is extraordinary. I always say that luck doesn't play a role in success, but, boy, you've been lucky to have your mother and Coach Knight. They're both amazing people. So I urge everybody to go along and see Longshot, the Kevin Lau story, and I guarantee that you'll laugh, you'll cry, and it'll make you really proud to be an American. Most of all, you'll be motivated to achieve things you didn't believe possible. Kevin is one hell of a guy. You're going to hear a lot more from him for a long time to come. This is Bob Pritchard. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business, and I'll be back with you in just a moment. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit, tell it the way it is business show that comes to every Tuesday at this time on Voice America Business. Now, each week we try to bring you emails from listeners around the world. And also from our female entrepreneurs, that the number is growing rapidly and they form a very solid base of our following on this program. My first email today comes from Nancy Stevens from Scottsdale, Arizona. Dear Bob, I love your show. I bought your book some months ago and enjoyed it very much. It's been a great help to me. Now, I'm considering whether to set up my own business or to buy a franchise I spoke to a franchise broker who said the success rate of franchises is about 95%, while the success rate of businesses in general is about 2.5%. On that basis, I figure I'd be about 40 times better off buying a franchise. I'm interested in getting your thoughts on what I should do. Nancy, thanks for your email. Um, I've seen that argument many times before and it's usually followed by some sort of justification of the initial franchise fee and uh, why you should pay high royalties on the basis of your you know, increased probability of success. Uh, most franchisees that I know would probably say that while the chances of success with a franchise are probably a little higher than with startups, the cost of entry is higher. And the 95% success rate figures that are quoted are ridiculous, to say the least. And no matter what country you're in, franchising is probably the most heavily regulated industry and is the subject of more court cases than any other area of business. The reason for this is that franchising has been responsible for consistent misrepresentation and fraud. The myth of 95% success rates has been perpetrated by people selling franchises because many prospects are led to believe that franchise ownership 
is essentially a guaranteed success. That ain't so. The International Franchise Association and the Small Business Association and others have asked um, brokers and franchises over the years not to use these statistics and to remove them from websites because they are blatantly wrong. But, um, of course, it's in their interests to perpetuate this myth. Also, you know, some years ago, the Small Business Association released papers showing that failure on loans were higher for franchise businesses than they were for independent businesses. I think people tend to spend more with a franchise business. It's easier to get into, probably. A comprehensive study from Wayne State University showed that a lower percentage of franchises survived by comparison with independent small businesses. However, that was a few years ago and probably has absolutely no relevance today. Small Business Association, research that I've seen from them, says that bigger fish tend to survive longer, whether they're independent or part of a chain. You know, if you're if you're bigger and more financially equipped when you begin the business, you're more likely to succeed and you're more likely to survive. That makes a lot more sense than any arbitrary claim that franchises in general are more successful. Nancy, I, I hope that helps you in your decision. I know it's a bit convoluted and the answer is nobody really knows, but um, it's something you need, should weigh up carefully, but don't believe the 95%, 2.5%. The 2.5% is about right, but um, in reality, the 95% is not. Uh, since you already have a copy of Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, we'll send you a, a copy of Marketing Magic, which is a book that I wrote with Brian Tracy and uh, Jay Conrad Levinson and a number of others a few years ago. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. It's a good book. My second email today comes from Gary Bennett of Louisville, Kentucky, who says, thanks for a great show. It is very informative and interesting. We hear a lot about all of the social media platforms, but how do we decide whether we should use Facebook, Twitter, or Pinterest to promote our products? Good question. Gary, a recent study by Vision Critical Market Research actually provides some interesting information. I was looking it up today for a client. When asked about where respondents found additional information about products, so finding information about products, 43% said Pinterest, 26% said Twitter, and about the same number said Facebook. Yet when it came to being alerted about a sale or a deal being offered, 37% said Facebook, 32% said Twitter, and only 19% said Pinterest. I don't know whether that's the way the, the message is translated or whether it's where people, what people are actually using. But when it came to the final decision of identifying a place to buy the product, Twitter was the runaway winner with nearly 40%, followed by Pinterest at, Pinterest at 28% and Facebook at only 15%. So it would appear that overall... Pinterest was the most effective in providing information and where to buy the product, followed by Twitter and then Facebook. 
And one of the great advantages of social media, of course, is it's to be able to share information with others. And this is where um, the information is critical. 38% of Facebook users made purchases after sharing, followed by Pinterest at 29 and Twitter at 22 and the number of people who had not thought about purchasing a product before sharing it on social media is also pretty interesting. Again, Pinterest was again the most effective at 29%, Facebook at 16 and Twitter at only 9%. So that's very interesting. I think it, it shows that Pinterest is a, a force to be reckoned with. But it's also interesting that Pinterest is more effective than Facebook or Twitter when it comes to food and drink, art, design, um, DIY, photos, gardening, decor, all of those sorts of things, while Facebook is the most effective when it comes to beauty and clothing, and Twitter's more effective when the product category is tech or electronics. And the major social purchaser, which is interesting, is male 18 to 34. So this makes Pinterest's performance as a purchase motivator even more impressive as over 80% of the people that um, use Pinterest are women. Gary, I would have to say from those numbers that you need to use all three platforms. But if you can only use one for everything except tech and electronics, Pinterest delivers a pretty good result. Tomorrow, we'll send you a copy of my latest bestseller, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competition. I'm sure you will enjoy it. Now, if you're a regular listener to the show and are benefiting from the advice that we give you every week, we try our best to keep you informed. Please tell your friends to listen. Go to my website at bobpritchard.com and subscribe to my monthly newsletter. There is one going out right now. So send me any questions, email me at bob at bobpritchard.com. We'll get back to you either directly or through the show. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook and Google+. And please make contact with me on LinkedIn. I'm a great LinkedIn fan. So thanks for listening to the Bob Pritchard No Bullshit Business Radio Show for Entrepreneurs on Voice America Business. And remember, if you're serious about being successful, This is the place to come each and every week at exactly the same time. This is Bob Pritchard, and I hope you have a fantastic and successful week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.